Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. All right. Hey, today we're continuing a series, People of Worship. And if you didn't receive notes on the way in, just raise your hand. The ushers are along the side, and they'll uh, be happy to get those to you. Uh, The passage that we're looking at in the Gospel of Mark is about an intense showdown over who's in charge. And the word that the Bible uses most often to describe this is authority. And who's in charge, well, that can be a very important thing to know, like when you're on an airplane, or when you're at work, or uh, when you're being operated on, or when you get married. When the right person is in charge, we're all safer, and we know who's responsible. In this passage, Jesus' authority is challenged by the highest authority in the Jewish nation, the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, to give you context, was more powerful than the Supreme Court in that they had an even broader scope of authority. Authority is a really hot topic in our nation. It's a hot topic in our homes, uh, in our schools, and in our churches. And when anyone talks about, you know, submitting to authority or coming under it, the assumption is, Why would I want to do that, right? (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, (laughs) Authority is necessary, and it's a part of life, and it's a really good thing. It really is. And we all benefit from authority when we see it the way God sees it. So we're going to talk about four spheres of authority, why God delegates authority, and why should I come under God's authority. Are you excited? Yes. All right. Cool. Let's begin. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. Now these leaders, again, they were members of the Sanhedrin, which meant they're made up of priests or former priests, teachers of the law, which were the legal experts, and elders, which were wealthy laymen. So the Sanhedrin represents primarily three types of authority, religious, political, and civil authority. Verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you the authority to do this? It's like an old-fashioned Western showdown, tombstone style, we're on Main Street, it's about to get dirty. It's one authority facing off, confronting another authority, and they asked Jesus two questions. The first one is this. By what authority are you doing these things? These things they were referring to was the things that he did the day before. What did he do the day before? He went into the temple and he turned up all the tables over and the money changers. And they're wanting to know, hey, by what authority did you do that come into our temple? The temple was central to their religious, political, and economic life. Nothing in our culture hold such a dominating place as the temple did in their lives. Secondly, they asked this question, who gave you this authority to do these things? The church that we started and led for 15 years in Lincoln, California, we owned 28 acres. It was on a a highway, and we had a small lake in the back. 
And this lake was an amazing lake to fish in. Like there was just all kinds of largemouth bass in it. One day I caught a three-pounder and I caught a five-pounder. Or, or it may have been seven pounds. It's a fish story and I don't really, it's hard to remember. You know what I'm saying? But they're big. They were, they were very big. And, and what I do remember is this, is that our church uh, insurance contacted us and they said, hey, most churches don't have lakes. <laughs> and so we're going to have to be really careful with this. And so what we want you to do is anytime anybody's fishing on the lake, uh, they need to come and, and sign into the church office and get this badge and thing that they wear around their neck, showing that they have permission to be on the lake. Well, one day my office was on the second floor. I had a balcony and it actually overlooked the lake. And uh, I saw this gentleman that was out there fishing and I couldn't see that colored badge from a distance. So I thought, well, you know what? I'll just take a break from study and I'll stroll along the berm. So I'm coming along the berm and I'm trying to be real casual with this. And I walk up to him and I said, hey, are they biting? Uh, Actually, I was a little more quieter because you don't want to startle the fish or the fisherman. Hey, are they biting? He goes, no, not yet. I said, oh, okay. And and then I just, you know, like, how do you ask this question? But it's kind of like, hey, do you have like permission to be out here? And he goes, oh yeah, Pastor Darren said I could fish here anytime. (laughs) And I said, oh, you know, Pastor Darren? True story. And he said, oh, yeah, he and I are really good friends. And I said, oh, well, uh, what's he like? Oh, he's a great guy, that Pastor Darren. I said, really? He goes, yeah. And I said, and he gave, he gave you permission to fish on the lake. You bet. He's an amazing guy. I said, oh, okay. Well, uh, good luck. And I walked off. He pretended to have an authority that he didn't have. Verse 29, Jesus replied, I will ask you a question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, well, if we say from heaven, he will ask then, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus with, uh, Oh, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Jesus counter questions, which was a common rabbinic debating technique. Remember, Jesus is a rabbi. First, they challenged Jesus' authority, and then he challenged them with a revealing question. Where did John the Baptist's authority come from and who gave it to him? Jesus put them in this dilemma. If they answered from heaven, then they would incriminate themselves for not believing in John and supporting his ministry. So they answered, we don't know. Do you remember the first time in your life that an authority figure challenged you? For me, it was fourth grade, and it was during recess. Uh, My fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Ringelman, was uh, doing playground duty that day, and uh, Mrs. Ringelman was the oldest teacher I'd ever seen in my life, in my entire elementary four years. Uh, she had to be 100 years old. And I can say this now because I'm sure she's dead. She's got to be, you know. But, but, but remember, remember the Wizard of Oz, the Wicked Witch, the one, like, she looked like her. Like, I'm telling you, like, she's dead now, so don't get worried about her feelings, okay? But she, she had this lo- really long, gnarly nose that she would look down at you with, and her skin was really wrinkled, like, everywhere. Look, uh, you know, looking back on it, it was you know, 50 years ago, she, she's probably only 40 years old. But, uh, 
but, but something happened in the playground, and I don't remember what it was. I have suppressed memory syndrome or whatever that is. Anyway, I might have misrepresented the truth. And so she grabs my arm and she pulls me in close and I could just smell the Bengay lotion. It was just like, <laughs> she is so old. And, and she looks down this long, scary, gnarly nose at me and she says, Darren Laws, you just lied to me. And it scared the heaven out of me. I mean, from that day on until this day, I, I never want to intentionally lie to anybody. I mean, she, she frightened me. I can still feel the emotion. So I might have said, if I was one of those earthly leaders in front of God in human form, and I just overplayed my hand facing the authority, I might have said something like, I don't know. It's kind of what we do. But they did know. And they lied to Jesus. And they lied to the people that were there. You see, real authority makes us face the truth in love. Do you know that understanding how God uses authority in your life is actually one of the greatest keys of your own personal fruitfulness and fulfillment? That's right. Learning how to submit to God's authority will actually bless every dimension and area of your life. I know it's crazy, right? Are you kidding me? Nothing about the word authority is popular right now. But understanding and relating to authority is a key to release and blessing and fruitfulness and success in your life. So here are four spheres of authority that I've created here for you, a chart. Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and all authority, the Bible says, has been given to him, and that we're to be subject, you and I, to the governing authorities. There are four primary spheres of authority in our lives that we interact with on a daily basis. There's home, parental, domestic authority that you have as parents. There's your career authority, your boss, your supervisor, your direct report. There's civil government and there's spiritual, our spiritual lives, our church authority. Why does God delegate to authority? Write these down. To bring order and organization. Order and organization. To create and protect the blessing that unity brings to empower us to be fruitful, to protect us, to teach us, to guide us, and to nurture us. When authority is good, life is good. Family just works well. When mom and dad are submitted to God and the principles and the values of Scripture, no, they're not you know, the perfect family. There's no perfect family, but hopefully they're just a little less dysfunctional than most, right? If you're following God's principles and values, God has given parents an incredible trust of authority over their children. And what's it for? So that you would bring peace to them, order and unity and blessing, that you would protect your children in the right ways, that you would teach them, that you would nurture and guide them and release them. And when your little ones rebel against your authority? Is that fruitful for them? Of course not. Everything is more fruitful and fulfilling when there's alignment and understanding of authority and order in our lives. God says this in Hebrews 13, verse 17, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. I have that highlighted in my Bible. Don't you? 
Like, isn't this like your favorite life verse? Oh, I love this part. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Sincerely, that's scary. Give them a reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Understanding authority is important to you because there is a spirit that works against to undermine all godly authority. If you can undermine the authority of the home, you destroy the home. Undermine the authority of government, you destroy government. Undermine the authority of the church, you destroy the church, and so on. The Bible literally names the spirit. The spirit you may have heard of, it's called the Antichrist. There is within our culture a darkness that works through others, anyone who's available, to bring false accusation, judgment, division, destruction, and violence. And at the root of it all is a pride. It's a prideful spirit. Write this down. The Antichrist is rejection of or rebellion against any divinely established authority or its representative. Let me read that again. The Antichrist is rejection of or rebellion against any divinely established authority or its representative. You see, pride is the desire to rule or control one's life and the lives of others. And so when pride is at play, it's like a leaven that corrupts any existing authority structure. And God's heart is to bring blessing to you through authority. Think of Jesus' authority, his authority over sickness, over disease, over the demonic, and much more. Those are all really good things. You see, Jesus, with his authority, he brought healing to people. But when men and women reject God's authority, what enters? Confusion. And men and women began to call good evil and evil good. It's so twisted. And it is the spirit of our worldly system. Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, modeled a humble spirit, not a prideful spirit, a humble spirit of authority. He came not to be served, but to serve. But on this day, a prideful group of men challenged Jesus' authority. They denied who Jesus Christ is. 1 John 2, 22, it says, and who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. The scripture teaches that our worldly system is ruled by darkness, the prince of the air. And the spirit of the Antichrist's goal is to always reject and always tear down any divinely established authority or the representative thereof. Why? Because it leads to an erosion of all that's healthy and good. It creates confusion, disorder, division, violence, conflict, and ultimately anarchy. So Jesus then tells them a parable. Now, a parable is a story with a truth or meaning behind the story. And the story is called the parable of the tenants or the parable of the renters. Let's pick up in Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. 
But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. In that time, wealthy foreign landlords owned large estates, which they would lease then to tenant farmers. And the tenants would agree to cultivate the land to care for the vineyards uh, while the owners were away. And then a contract would be struck between them to designate a portion of the crop to later be paid back to the owner as rent. We have an owner of a vineyard in this story trying to collect what is his, what belongs to him, his rent. But the tenants are not acknowledging his authority nor the authority that he's sending. Verse 6, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. The owner in this story is God. The son is Jesus Christ. The vineyard is his people all of creation, all of us. The tenants are responsible to care for the vineyard. They're in leadership. They're in authority to care for the people. The owner sends his servants, his prophets, time and time again in the Old Testament, God sent prophets to Israel, to God's people to speak on God's behalf. But the tenants, the renters, the leaders rejected God's authority in their lives, and they rejected his ownership And ultimately, they killed his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to save the world. You see, our society, our worldly system is built on tenants and renters, leaders in authority who own nothing. But they have used their authority here on earth, they've used their influence to lead people away from the worship of God as their supreme authority in worship. They've taught people to worship themselves. Our culture now sees themselves as their own source of light and inner truth. And it is renters and tenants and those in authority and influence in homes, in families, in government, in church, in careers that are using their influence to lead people away from the truth. Verse 9, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Then Jesus explains the meaning of the story. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in his eyes. We know the stone is Jesus Christ. The builders or farmers were the religious, legal, and political leaders. But they could not stop. What was marvelous about this is they could not stop God's plan. You see, the most important stone of any building is the cornerstone. The word picture here implies a new temple and a new way of worship through Christ. Our bodies now in the New Testament, our bodies, we receive the Spirit of God when we receive Christ into our lives, and we carry with us in our lives as worship the Spirit of God. We are His people of worship, no longer a building made of stones. 
Jesus was challenging the ending of their way of worship with no more animal sacrifices, no more chauvinism and racism. Verse 12, then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowds, so they left him and went away. Think of the, the bigness of this moment. You're standing in front of Jesus, and in front of Jesus is Israel's earthly authority, religious, political, and civil authority, and all three say no to Jesus, the Son of God, whom the Father has sent. And they looked for a way from that day forward to kill him. They've said in their hearts, we will not be a people who worship God, Yahweh. We will not be a people whose lives are built on Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of our faith. We will not come under your authority. 1 John 4, verse 3, it says, But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. Listen, the question that matters most for all of us here today is, what authority are you under? By whose authority will you build your life and your family and your career and your future on? Will it be on your authority? Will you be the final authority? the source? Will it be upon the leaders, the renters of our worldly system who are using their influence? Will you listen to them and follow them? Or will you follow God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent? How do you want the story of your life to go? How do you want it to read when you're all done? You see, your view of Jesus determines how you relate to all of this authority, how you relate in your home, how you relate in your career and your government and in your church. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. For God did not send his Son to you and I into the world to condemn us, but to save us. Why should we come under God's authority? Are you ready? Because this is kind of a big deal this morning. And these four points are not in any particular order. But the first reason is this. My personal authority is limited. If you've been the final authority in your life, how's that working for you? Let's be honest. About 20 years ago, you were doing poopies in your diaper. And some of you are older now and you're doing it again. In one lifetime, can we just be serious? In one lifetime, no matter how big an IQ you have, no matter how smart you are, you're probably not going to understand it all. You're probably not going to understand life and the entire universe. Next point, God is the author of life. The root word for authority is author. God is the author of life. He knows the original intent. He knows the master plan of earth from beginning to end. He knows it all. So you and I, let's be honest, we would only be guessing. 
And if God is not your final authority, then who? Is it reasonable to assume that you or another human being that you choose might be the wisest source of authority in your life? Is, it, is a New York Times best-selling book really going to be your North Star? Is the latest guru, the latest mystic, the latest cool spin on religion, is that really going to be your foundation? Why should we come under God's authority? My personal authority is limited. God is the author of life. And next, write this down. God will always tell you the truth. The world is as God predicted it would be. You see, Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our, our greatest problem is that we don't believe we should ever have problems. And yet problems are the very thing that grow us as people. It's the resistance that creates growth. He won't keep you from troubles, but he will help you overcome them. Even when evil does evil things, and when people do evil things, and when bad stuff happens to good people, God promises this, I will be close to the brokenhearted, I will comfort you, and ultimately one day I will bring justice. That's God's promise. And then lastly, God is the most powerful friend you could ever have. Why? Because God is eternal. He has no beginning or ending. God is unchanging. You can trust Him forever. He's all-powerful. Nothing is impossible with God. He's all-knowing. He knows all things. He knows you, and He likes you anyway. He's all-present. He's everywhere at the same time. You are never alone. And God is holy. That means he's pure in his motives towards you. Righteous. He's always right about everything. Somebody needs to be. Chances are it's not you and I. God is love, goodness, grace, mercy, compassion, and kindness all wrapped up into one awesome God. That's why you should come under God's authority. Life is so much better when God is leading us. Jesus is so much better than the authority of a horoscope guiding your life or the influence of a guru or the latest mystic. You don't want to trust your life to one of those authorities. Jesus is so much better than your favorite news channel, the latest book of the month club or the best blog you've ever read on that subject, you don't want to trust your life to one of those authorities. You want to build your life on Christ's love, on, on the time-honored, life-tested, true principles from which millions upon millions of people have lived now successfully their lives. When we build our lives on Him, we're building on a firm foundation when we worship God with our lives as a people of worship, we discover a lifestyle of enjoying God, of loving God, and then of giving our lives in the most meaningful ways to other people. You want a great life? You want a better life? Choose God's authority. It's time to settle this question in your own heart. 
Who am I going to worship? Myself or God? Some of us here today, we've decided to believe in God, but, but maybe we haven't actually committed our entire lives under his authority, under his lordship. This may not seem like a big deal, but in truth, it's the biggest deal. You see, until we fully accept Jesus as Lord, which means whole life controller, until I'm willing to check in with him and his scripture on every aspect of my life and my decision making, until I'm willing to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in every dimension of my life, I'm not receiving all that God has for me. I'm not experiencing the fullness of what God wants for me. Every area in my life where I'm not under the authority of God's word in those different relationships, in those decisions and choices I'm making, I create my own confusion. I create my own pain. I create my own suffering. But when I come under God's authority, it means I come under his protection. Now think about it. What might it look for you, for me, to come under God's authority in my relationships? How am I honoring God in my relationships and my choices? What about how I date or how I do marriage or how I'm handling my finances or how I conduct my business or how I treat my family? You must decide within one generation, your short lifespan on what and on whom you will build the foundation of your life. God wants to bless you, but first you need a foundation that can sustain what he wants to build your life up into. Jesus is the rock. He's the cornerstone. When I give him my life, I come under his authority and I trust in his leadership in every area. That means the way I do finances, the way I raise my kids, the way I work is under the Lord in my career, the way I relate to government, the way I honor authority, the way I relate to everybody in my life. I'm taking my cues from the scriptures. That's what it means to be a people of worship. My whole life is given to honoring God. Would you bow your heads with me? And if you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes just in reference to those around you. But I want to ask you today, where are you? Whose authority are you currently under? Is it yourself? Is it God? Or have you chosen another authority that you may now be questioning? It's your choice. It's your decision at any point in your life and in your heart that you can decide, I recognize Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And in a few moments, I'm going to pray and you may want to make that decision today. Others of you, many of you, you know what it is to have made that commitment, but now just x-ray your life. Where am I under authority and where am I refusing to be under authority? Where is my life in alignment and where is it not right now in alignment? And what would be the next step for me? What would that look like to bring my life into alignment, to receive his blessing in my life? Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We acknowledge you. We are building and growing a people of worship here at Brave, built upon the foundation of your scriptures. And Lord, speak to each and every one of our hearts 
according to your spirit and according to your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.